This weekend, I was going in and out the bunker where I'm hiding from feelings I don't want to deal with. Mm. Mm -hmm. But then I have this, I mentioned the car ride where I was faced with these three parts of me. A firefighter, the personal bunker that I go to hide from an attack of emotions that might feel life-threatening as well as the pusher, the constant grinding, screaming force that tells me to get my shit together and do what I'm supposed to do, and how these two are in, in conflict, and what are they both protecting? There's some child that when it gets the feeling of failure, and with that, I think, worthlessness, it feels hopeless and goes to a really bad place. And the pusher is trying to protect that part that inner child that's afraid of being worthless by pushing me to succeed and achieve and do the things necessary for me so that I respect myself and I feel self-worth. And the bunker part of me, when I get close to feeling that feeling is shoving me into the bunker and hiding me from the world and, and distracting me from my feelings so that I don't go there. The problem is that these two parts are in intense conflict with each other. When I go to a place of I'm overwhelmed or I'm exhausted or this, that, and the other, and I'm just going to chill, listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube talk or whatever, I was never able to actually enjoy the fucking thing. When I binge watch something, I can never enjoy it. From the first moment to the last, I have incredible tension in my body. And that's because there's the fucking pusher that is pounding the door of the bunker, is screaming at me to get the fuck out of there. When I go into hiding, it's never even a little bit pleasant. And maybe it's for nobody because we all have that inner voice when we're hiding from something that knows that we're not doing what we're supposed yeah. to do. But I think we all have different bunkers and different levels of pushers. And my pusher ain't like everybody's. That I'm pretty sure of. Otherwise, I wouldn't be where I am today. The amount of tension that I have when I try to quote unquote relax and distract myself is insufferable. It just sucks. Yeah. And I also think a lot of people might have a more comfortable bunker than you. Yeah, <laughs> I think my you have a bunker, pretty hardcore bunker sucks. <laughs> my bunker sucks and I don't really get to hide from the world because there's one voice outside the bunker that's screaming and banging yeah. the fucking door. And so it's in my neck almost. And I'm sitting here distracting myself. But fuck, can't I just... You know what my bunker says about the pusher? It's just like, can't I just... Can't you just give us just a moment? Can we just... <laughs> can you just give us a moment to relax? And then when we overdo it, can you then start knocking the door? And yeah. my inner pusher says that. no. No, bitches. No, fucking assholes. Not a second. Right? It's relentless. It's ruthless. It's merciless. It's just no. No. Not one moment. When you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'm going to be in your face screaming at you. Now, that is on good things for me. Yeah. I mean, it has helped me to never avoid the difficult truths of my life for too long. And it has helped me to never hide from challenges for too long. But, you know, there's this concept in IFS, internal family systems, that talks about polarization. And polarization is not when you have just two parts in your psyche that are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. 
right? You could have a pusher and a bunker or a comforter mm -hmm. that are not po polarized because they're, they're at the opposite end. But when you're in the pusher mode, the comforter or bunker in my case is not interfering. And when you're in the comforter or bunker mode, the pusher is not interfering, right? Mm -hmm. They are polarized when they are actively engaging when one of them is dominant and fighting uh -huh. that part. And they, so both of them are pulling in different directions. Yes, and they have a beautiful metaphor for this where they say, imagine a sailing boat where you have two sailors on it and one is leaning, takes a, a rope and leans way to the left outside the boat mm -hmm. and the other is way to the right and both of them are leaning more and more extreme because they think if they don't, the boat is going to tip. And it's true. Because they're both gone to right. such an extreme place where if one of them goes back a little bit, the boat will kick. The problem is that they pushed each other to such an extreme place that there's nowhere to go other than stay stuck in the most extreme of places. And so how do you negotiate to make those two slowly but surely trust each other and start walking one step at a time back into the boat, right? Where they're, they start valuing each other and working together. And then eventually you would want the thing that they're trying to prevent, which is whatever they are trying to protect. You would want to bring that in and integrate that as well and make them understand that whatever they are doing, usually we're building these extreme responses in childhood, kind of their over responses to a situation in very extreme cases is a traumatic event that might create this super extreme. And we're talking extremes, nothing compared to mine where people, you know, the comforter might be, something that leads you to drugs. It's a really destructive behavior. And that polarization is when those two parts of your psyche are at the most extreme and constantly at battle with the other side. So whenever one of them is dominantly present in your psyche, the other one isn't just like waiting for their turn. The other one is actually right. interfering with it, yeah. right? And that makes such sense. I can use that metaphor framework and a bunch of my behavior falls into a beautiful pattern where before mm -hmm. it was just chaos unexplainable why i am acting the way i'm acting <laughs> and now it's just like dominoes they just da, 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 they all just start yeah. like uh -huh. oh of course that's why that explains this moment this moment whenever i do this yeah. whenever i feel that wow this explains a lot kind of very yeah. beautifully and neatly and i definitely had this weekend a situation where I was trying to hide from a feeling that was super unpleasant. But at the same time, my pusher was so intense and I was going in and out of feeling both feelings and slightly being aware of it, being like, oh yeah, I know why I have my jaw is about to explode and I know why I don't want to sit in silence. And I'm in my, in my mind, I was like, basically like, can you both, can I just give myself a little break? I'll do it. It's just for everybody relax. I'll get back into a presence mode of feeling and I'll unpack these things that are going on. Just not ready right now. And the answer from both parts, they didn't really answer me in a verbal way, but the experience and sensations was no. You know, there was no backing down or <laughs> as usual yes, in the yes. land of status. Yes. <laughs> and so I just had a shitty weekend. I just had a typical weekend of suffering 
the big difference being that I was more present in the suffering where in the past, when I would go through these cycles, mm. it would not be as, I would have moments where I'd be like, I need to get out of this mode isn't good, but it, those would be milliseconds throughout the day. And this time around, it was, I don't know, I was much more almost aware of these two parts sitting there and punching me left and right. And I was going, okay, okay, I'll let them, I'm not ready, obviously, to step up, but I'm about to, I'm going to step out of this in, a, in any moment. And this morning, I mean, last night already, I decided like enough is enough, like tomorrow morning, I'm going to, you know, go on a long walk and I'm going to do a bunch of things to like figure, figure some shit out. And so I started the morning with actually the very first thing I did was just walking out the balcony and just sitting outside at 6am. And I was just sitting there and listening to the birds. And I sat there for half an hour or so 3040 minutes. And I could literally tell how it was like, all that tension in my body and my face was slowly easing up. And then I sit down and I journaled and I asked myself some questions in the journal and I figured a bunch of shit out. And then I did my five question exercise and then I stretched and then I was in a groove and I started thinking more about kind of these two patterns. And one thing that popped up were, were some memories of kind of my younger self when I, when were, there were there were some memories that came to me of when I was doing that, when I was young, when I almost, when this started. And I think for the longest time when I was um, a kid growing up between the ages of, I don't know, maybe seven, eight and 16, mostly I had this, the bunker part. I mostly had this trying to hide from my real emotions in situations that were tricky. And we had this as a family tradition to some degree, because as I said, the most dominant activity in our family was watching television. Just the t TV was on 24 seven. And when we were not eating or saying something to each other, we were all sitting in front of the television. And so that was a big part of just let's sit there and let's not feel or deal with anything or really interact with the world at large. And it took till I was 16, till I started to have an outlet for my ambition, right? We, I've taught, I told the story many times where I had this argument with my brother about success in life. And finally I realized I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, but I had this huge ambition and self-belief that I am going to do great things, but I really didn't know what, and that led me to buy my first book. And that led me down the path of buying books about business and shares and all that. That story is well told told that story a million times in a million different places. Once I started getting an answer for what do I want to do with my life and what are my goals, then I think I started having this inner pusher that started showing up as now finally having something to push me towards. And then the conflict started between the two parts. And I think for most of my, for kind of the early ages of my life, the avoiding whatever unpleasant emotions I had was still the most dominant player. But between 16 to whatever it was, 25, 26, that pusher started growing and becoming more and more dominant. And eventually it took over. 
and it took over to a degree where it just didn't maybe because out of, out of a could imagine out of a fear or panic that if i let off if i ease off we're going to back go back to a steli to the steli that was 12 and i hated myself when i was 12 i felt that i was a total loser and i really didn't like myself and i really didn't have any place in the world and i didn't have any direction and I had very little, I had an unexplainable confidence that one day I'll do something great. But in the moment, I was like, but right now I'm a piece of shit. Right now I'm just a total loser. And I feel horrible all the time. And so that push-up part is like, well, if we know where the story will go, if I let, if I don't do my job, we're going to go back to that steli. Fuck that shit. Now, I think past the... 25, 26 year old mark, when I finally had my last epic failure with my first startup in Silicon Valley, I really started changing. And I think I started becoming much more balanced and approaching things a bit differently. So it was not just that pusher that was dominating. And I started being much smarter, not just try to do everything force function. But that conflict is really, really strong. And when I remember back, I don't know why. This is, I think, such a typical thing that people do when you have like a procrastinator of some sort, right? A comforter, I call it like whatever you want to call it. A thing that's making you not do the thing that you said you should do. I remember, and this is a very universal pattern, I think, but I remember today for the first time in many, many years, I remembered how I felt when I had to study for a test. And because I really, I, I checked out of school in first grade, in first grade, I decided after a couple of weeks, this isn't for me. These people hate me. I hate the system. I hate the school. And so I'm just going to check out. I'm not going to even try to be good at this. I'm just going to sit through it until it's over. I'm just going to, I'm going to just stoically suffer through this without any fight or without any adaptation. And I remember when I would have to study for a test, I remember coming home, I'd come home at 2 p.m. or something. And in my mind, I would do a quick run of how many hours do I have to study to sort of pass the test tomorrow? Usually it'd be something like, ah, I think like four hours or five hours or whatever. And then I would look at the time and I'd go, Poo, all right, good. It's 2 p.m., four hours, 6 p.m., let me take two hours to chill in front of the television and I'll start studying at four and I'll finish at eight. And then I can watch another movie and go to sleep. That sounds like a good plan. And then I would sit in front of the TV and I remember like one the, once the first hour of TV was over, I would look at the time and go, I would have a little anxiety attack. Oh shit. And now I have to start studying and I go, forget about this. Just keep watching TV. And then 30 minutes before the time come, I'd be like, again, a little anxiety. I'd take shit, only 30 more minutes. I'd go, push it away and don't think about it. And then I would look at the time and go, oh my God, the time, two hours have already passed. I'm not ready to start studying. Fuck it. I can start in an hour and I can end at 9 p.m. That's still fine. And then an hour later, I, I would repeat the process. And then an hour later, I'd go, ah, oh, fuck. Now I really, I felt obviously more and more lethargic and unenthusiastic about studying the longer I postponed it. And so an hour later, I'd be like, well, now I really don't feel like it. 
fuck it. If I do it in an hour, 10 p.m. is not that bad. I can still do it. It'll be a bit harder, but I can do it. And then an hour later, I would push for an hour later. And then an hour later. And then an hour later. And I swear to God, every single time from grade, whatever, when you really have to start studying for tests, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, till I dropped out of school, almost, I would find myself at some point at midnight trying to decide, am I going to study till four and then sleep three hours and go? Or should I just go to sleep now for three hours and wake up and I won't study for four hours, I'll study for three. Some bullshit like that. It was always the same terrible bullshit story. And then I would go to sleep and then obviously I would not wake up at fucking 4 a.m. in the morning. I would snooze to five and then six and then seven. And then I would go to school without having studied at all for the test. And this is obviously an insane process that's much worse than just deciding at 2 p.m., fuck this test. I'm not going to learn for it. Right. And I didn't do this once in a while. I did this process literally every single time. Just maximum suffering and stress and zero results. Like absolutely zero results. Yeah, this is the perfect strategy. Like, how can I achieve the least with the maximum amount of stress and suffering? Boom, right? I had, I had optimized for that. I had mastered <laughs> that at age seven or eight already. It, it instantly, once the test was over, I had instant amnesia about it. So the next test, like having learned nothing, 2 p.m., I come home, I'm like, oh, shit, tomorrow's a test. How long do I have to learn? Oh, I think three or four hours. Oh, fuck, let's start at four. I don't know how, you know, how, how is that even possible? But not once I remember thinking, ooh, I always say that and I never do it. I was just, I was just forgetting about the whole thing and until it was time again. And then I would just go through the exact same process. As you said, maximum suffering and stress and minimum results. That was kind of my entire, almost my entire school career, with the exception of one year. And... I haven't thought about this shit in a very long time. I've never been as bad as I was when I was during my school years, obviously, because I really hated right. school and I didn't care about it. And didn't, I didn't even have the goal to be good. And so to me, there's another thing of, I think, highly ambitious people that are a bit fucked up is that for me at a young age already, if I could not be amazing at something, I didn't care at all about how bad I was. I didn't have any kind of middle ground. Mm -hmm. So I didn't care about school. I hated it. Every kind of class, I didn't participate at all, like at all. I told this story many times. I would show up at school every day with an empty school bag. And before every class, I would borrow a book from somebody, a piece of paper from somebody and a pen, and I would just draw doodles and then throw away that piece of paper and give back the book. And the next, like, and I, and I would just travel very light to school and from school back. And then when we'd had a test, I always had to like two days before borrow somebody's notebook and make some copies, pay like a couple of bucks and make some copies to have the, the, the notes to study for the fucking thing, which then I didn't do. Just pure insanity. My whole school experience was pure insanity. But I hadn't thought about this in a long time. And today, as I was sitting out on the balcony was chilling and these two the, the inner polarization and conflict that i was feeling all weekend long calmed down a bit both sides took a breath and I, my own self present my present self kind of took over and started mediating that memory popped up again and i was mm -hmm. like wow yeah i and i and it was not just the memory it was also the feelings i had going through all of this 
And I yeah. thought, wow, yeah, some of this shit has started in a very young age. And it has morphed and it has changed. But there are still some inner parts of mine that in extreme situations pop up. And then there's these polarized opposite parts that fight each other so hard that it creates so much internal discomfort and tension in me. And I just ignored it for, mo for when, when I was young. When you're young, you can do much more with just brute force. And you can maybe I was more ready yeah. to push my mind and body through suffering and not care. But now I feel it so intensely. And I'm like, no, I don't want this shit anymore. Like I need, we need to become friends here. Like I want a better culture within Steli. Like we need just... <laughs> Figure out rules and not, like we need to talk to each other. I want teamwork. This shit, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Like, I'm not ready to keep having this go on inside of me because it sucked. It, it was nice. I had a couple of moments today where where I felt these different parts more clearly and just that being more mm. present for them and feeling them more distinctly was helping to feel and respond differently to my sensations and my thought processes and my inner voices. And I had an incredible day. I got a ton of shit done. I was feeling amazing. And obviously there's also a, a kind of a pendulum swing effect that when you have a really bad day and then you turn it around and you have a good day, it becomes usually a really good day. Yeah, the contrast is really high. The contrast is very, very intense. And so I, yeah, I'm happy about my day. And I'm also really, I'm really digging and enjoying this new world that I'm playing with of noticing these different parts of my psyche and interacting with them much more consciously and asking them much more asking better questions and hearing and feeling different answers than I've ever before. And it's for me, exciting and compelling and interesting. And it also, so far at least is fruitful. It, it generates different results. Like I could always, or I know how to brute force myself out of some negative states, but for the past year or so, I'm very consciously trying not to use these strategies and just to play mm -hmm. a different game and be more flexible and try to broaden my sphere of choices of how I think and feel and how I react and who I am and how I understand myself. And so this shit is uh, today, at least this shit was working and it was fun. Nice. Dope, dope. And just curious because you said for all of your school years, except for one year. Yeah. What's up with that one year? Yeah, I had one year where it was excellent. And that was the, so in 10th grade in Germany, in the German school system, you can then either, you usually can either exit the school system and then go and do an apprenticeship. Or if your grades are good enough, you could, if you're in a certain school, there's three different school paths that started fifth grade, Hauptschule, Realschule and Gymnasium. And they're like for different, if you're in Gymnasium, you're on the track to go and study. And if you're The other two tracks, you're basically most likely not going to be able to study and go and do an apprenticeship somewhere. And I was on one of those paths. And then in ninth grade, at the end of the, the ninth grade, when they give you your grades, they tell you what your options are based on your performance. 
And they gave me only one option. They told me, I'm going to have to do an apprenticeship to become an electrical, that's not an engineer. Yeah, like a, like an electrician of sorts in the car supply industry or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember that I went to the teacher and I was like, I, I'm not somebody that's interested in like anything that is engineering related or industrial or mechanical or electrical. I really don't want to work in a car factory. And is there any other option? And I remember that teacher telling me for you, no, you better start applying for these apprenticeships because I'm not even sure you're going to get an apprenticeship for that. And I went back and then researched myself because that, that was an oh shit moment. I never thought about anything up until ninth grade. Right. I was just like hmm. ignoring everything in school. And then I had uh-huh. this, oh shit moment. I'm like, whatever I'll do, I cannot do it four years in a car factory, becoming an electrician or something like this is just not for me. I had like a massive panic attack and I researched what grades do you want? Do you have to have at the end of 10th grade to be able to continue school and go to the gymnasium? Right. And I looked up the grades that it showed you, and it was light years away from anything I've ever had. But I decided, well, I have to have these grades next year because Mm. I'm not applying for these fucking jobs. And the start of the, and you know, the entire summer, I could not think of anything else. Just every day, dude, I had this one piece of paper that had all the criteria. Every day I looked at that piece of paper every day. Every day in the summer, I was like, I have to get good. I have to have these grades. 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 And then the 10th grade started. And I started, you know, paying attention in school. And I started learning. For the first time in my life, I learned for a test. And I wrote an A. And I was surprised. I I was gunning for a C. And I was like, oh, A. Well, all right, good. And then I learned and studied for the next test and I had an A again. And then after I wrote my third A, then I adjusted my ambition. And now I needed to write all tests had to be A's. And I finished 10th grade with, in Germany, you have like, you don't have A, B, C, you have like one, two, three, four, five, and six as grades, right? Four, five, and six, basically you have not passed the class. And uh, one is Mm -hmm. an A. And I had an average of 1.7 and I graduated that class wow. as I think I graduated with whatever. I got a price. They had to call me into the front, like the, the principal's office and I got a price. It was one of the best students that year of the entire school. Uh, oh my God. And I remember. You're almost the same, except I was on the other side. <laughs> I was I was a straight six student. <laughs> I mean, I was a strict. Was worst in school. I was a strict six student. Up until 10th grade, right? And Mm. uh, I mean, I also repeated one class. I repeated, I think, the 6th or 7th grade. And I remember when I went to the principal, because the principal really hated me. When I went to the principal to get the degree, he did all but spit in my face when he gave me the fucking Uh thing, right? Uh Like, he was just like, you piece of shit. How the fuck did you do this? And then I went into the 11th grade, new school. And I wrote sixes everywhere and I failed, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I had to repeat 11th grade. And then after two months of the the second way around, I dropped out of school. 
So it didn't really last. That motivation was gone once I had I had avoided certain death by uh, an electrician apprenticeship. But for one year, Strong I was an outstanding student. For one year, I was just yeah. like, I just killed everybody. And that was kind of, that was amazing for me. I mean, you probably, I don't know how I felt about all this. By that time also, honestly, by 10th grade, I think I also started, was that the year? I was also already a bit in the kind of business and stock thing. And I knew that's what I really want to do. Mm -hmm. I just didn't, I was 17 at that time or something. I didn't feel quite ready yet. And so I just didn't want to have to start an electrician uh, gig. And so by 11th grade, I was like, fuck all this, fuck school. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to become an entrepreneur. But for one year, I just, I just killed the game. And it was the, the, the craziest thing for me was that I expected that I would have to work incredibly hard all year. Mm -hmm. And then I would get like a C, like C, you had to have... Yeah. Yeah. C plus in four really important courses. And that's what I was, that was my goal. I was not gunning yeah. for ACE or anything. Yeah. But when yeah. I started studying, I was like, oh, this shit is easy. Like these, I didn't yeah. know that I can be that good in a test. <laughs> you know, I've never yeah. even tried. And that was probably also good in so, to some way, in yeah. some way, made me go, I'm, I could do this if I wanted. I just don't want yeah. to. But yeah, that was the one kind of outlier here that I had. Yeah. And you know what's funny? One funny thing about this podcast is that as I share my struggles and even though sometimes it's past struggles, sometimes it's current struggles, as I'm sharing more of my struggles, a lot more people that I know. So this is the funny thing about this podcast. In the past, most of my content, I would get a lot of responses from people I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Because I guess my friends and my family or people that were more friendly with me that knew me also personally, they didn't consume that content or, or when they right. did. They were not in that sphere. Yeah. And even when they did, some of them did, they didn't have a need to like, they just learned how right. to do a cold email. There's no need to reach out to me or, or right. whatever. But with this, because it's so personal, I have a constant uh -huh. stream of friends, family or yeah. other people that will respond, especially strongly when I share struggles or like dark moments uh, even if it's really in the yeah. past it really it makes people reach out in not just like oh this was a nice episode but they write massive things like lots and lots and lots of things yeah. um, to me about what they just heard which is really really interesting or very yeah. different dynamic and and this honestly to some degree part of those responses are why in the past i wouldn't have shared this kind of stuff publicly right? because mm -hmm. i'd be like i don't want everybody to know this shit or right. this stuff is seven years ago i don't need the pity uh -huh. of anybody i don't need good advice right now about it <laughs> it's right. i'm fine right. but and so I, I was always very uncomfortable with sharing my weaknesses because i didn't want to be perceived as weak and I don't feel right. weak. Like we are having, like most of the shit that we're discussing, even the darkest shit is art to me. It's just, I'm grateful yeah. we get to talk about it. And I'm glad that people listen to this. It still, it still surprises me that people actually listen to this, but, but it is a very new phenomenon. Every time it happens, I go, oh shit. Yeah. People do listen to this podcast. Uh, what did I say? Yeah. What did I say in this podcast? Because, uh, you know, many times we'll publish a podcast sometimes in the very week we record it, but oftentimes it could be four weeks later or three months right. later. And so then I'm like, right. wow, I need to re-listen to this episode. What did I say? Yeah. 
Oh, um, yeah. that's a, an interesting new, completely new experience for me. Yeah. And I love how you put it when you said, oh, this is art to me. Even the stuff that's hard when you're in the midst of it and there's like no pretty solution and no bow that ties it all up neatly with the lesson learned and here's how I do it. Now. Yeah. You know what this um, reminds me to, to some degree, uh, you know, remember I told you this in New Year's, in New Year's, I got a message from a friend that his son had leukemia. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling you how like it, that crushed me. That just totally destroyed yep. me. I was crying all morning long. A lot of things came up with like my cousin who had leukemia and stuff in my child and everything. And I was really affected by that message and those news. And I remember I, I when I called my mother, my mom is a super strong person and I learned that from her. And so my mom has never seen me cry or be weak. My mom has never seen me as an adult ever asked me like having a problem and I called her because I wanted to talk to her about it and I started telling her the news and I started crying and I remember my mother jumping into kind of a panic mode of going listen they're gonna be fine your cousin was also fine lots of times with children have leukemia the chance of recovery is really good and we can't be upset about this and the kid is not dead yet you have to move forward and it's you know you have to be grateful for your healthy kids and, da, da, da. and i stopped her and i was like mom stop i know all this i'm okay i know i'm crying because i'm upset right now but i'm okay i don't need i don't need uh saving you don't need to save me yeah. you don't need to make me feel better yeah. i'm okay i really I really believe that life and death and sickness is all part of the dance of existence. Like I, I, I'm not losing myself in this drama, but I'm feeling a pain right now and I want to feel it. I think it's fine. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you because you're my mother. I love you. And I felt like I wanted to talk to you about this, but you don't need to do anything for me. Just let's just talk. You don't need, I'm okay. And then she instantly snapped out of that and started sharing stories of my our, my cousin when he had leukemia. And there was one really big event when he came to my birthday and he was four times the size. It really ballooned up and I didn't recognize him at first. And then when I recognized that I had not recognized my own cousin, I got really upset. And I remember that, but I didn't remember, which my mother then told me that I went down to the basement and cried for many hours and was hiding it during my own birthday. And so she told me a bunch of stories about my aunt and how they dealt with it, things that I didn't know. We had a really amazing conversation that really helped me. But it was in the moment where she was not trying to help me anymore and was just talking yeah. and just sharing. And to me, I am never like, the, the, and you know this because I really like, you know, everything, right? You know, every little thing. There's no, there's no any more, there's no dark corner. There's no little unpleasantness in my life, any dirt in my life, anything that's not okay, you know, right? And, and that was not always that way, right? There was a time in our yeah. friendship where you didn't know all these things. Yeah. And the, one of the best things is that you also know that I'm not like suffering. I don't need saving. Like we're just having, like me sharing this is us creating stuff. Yeah. Figuring yeah. things out, expressing things, creating art, learning Right. It's it's jamming. It's like me with a guitar and you are on the drums mm -hmm. and we're just doing shit. And most of it sounds terrible. And I'm like, oh, this doesn't mm -hmm. sound nice. And this. and then oftentimes at the end of a session, I'm like, well, all this was for nothing. You know, we didn't. Yeah. This all didn't sound yeah. good. Yeah. But to me, this, no, I don't. That doesn't mean that I'm in need of encouragement necessarily, although I always appreciate it or that somebody has to step in, and tell me everything's fine because 
I wouldn't be recording this if I was really in a bad place. Right? If any of yeah, this was, if any true. of this was consuming me in a way that I could not have perspective and distance from it and see it and experience it from some level of distance where I knew this is the drama of my life or my emotions right now, or my struggle, and it's part of the dance and I'm trying to figure it out. And it's actually exciting that I even have this. Then I would need like, then I wouldn't feel comfortable recording. The only reason why I'm recording is because up until now, at least the kind of struggles that I have, even if they're painful for me or challenging or uncomfortable or unpleasant are still very obvious to me, part of a beautiful dance of life. And, and there's nothing about it that is wrong. And there's nothing about it that scares me to a degree where I'm losing myself and, and need, need saving. Dude, it's also the most fascinating, interesting thing in the world, kind of, right? It's like, oh, this is, these are like my, my borders, my gray areas. This is the, this is the edge of what I know, right? This is kind of the unex, unexplored territory. So being able to just work with that, it's fucking amazing. It's like stumbling through uncharted territory and trying to map things out and figure it out. And it's mm -hmm. not pretty. And it's not always exciting. Right, it's like pioneers. Yeah. Sometimes you got to eat rats. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. I mean, and the, one of the most powerful things about this is that when I, and this is something unique about this podcast, is that I'm so grateful that people are listening and that people are getting something out of it. I mean, that is amazing. What I get out of this, nobody can get as much out of this as I do. Yeah. And when I listen to past episodes that we recorded, mm -hmm. it is such enlightenment. It is sometimes yeah. so incredible yeah. because it puts me back in time exactly at who yes. I was and how I felt. Yes. And I and I can feel the experience and think it through. And I can feel also the contrast between where I'm today and where I was during the yeah. exploration six months ago, nine months ago. And that is so incredible. I, I can listen to our old every old episode that I listen to. I'm like, wow. Yeah. This shit is crazy. Yes, and exact I remember I was trying to figure this uh -huh. out. And now I know how different I think about this today. Wow, this is awesome. Yeah. And dude, I even had this just now when you were talking about your school days where I remembered some of my school days. And then I looked at 14-year-old Ramina and I could look at him with kind of the perspective of who I am now. And there's a kind of a warmth and understanding and, being, and like, it's going to be okay, man. And, <laughs> and, and there's something amazing to that. Yeah. And this is much more indirect, right? It's just yeah. like a, a far memory. And this is a direct recording of, of that that brings it all up. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways, we're all so alike. Mm -hmm. We are very different, but we're also pretty fucking similar. Yeah. And it's a universal yeah. thing. You know, the differences are very marginal. Now, those margins can have significant impacts on who we become in our lives, but it's very small margins. It's like at the core, as humans, we are 80% overlap in terms of yeah. our psyche, our fears, our emotions, our thoughts, our challenges, our struggles are so universal. Variations in a the theme. Yeah. We're all we're all dancing the same song, and of yeah. course you can have variation in moves. But there's 13 patterns of moves, <laughs> this tiniest yeah. of variations of transitions of execution of these moves. It's not that much. This is something that always 
when I rediscover it, re-excites and surprises me. There's only, I don't know how many basic faces there are, face shapes, but it's not unlimited. It's like 50, 70 or something. How many people look incredibly similar? There's a limited amount of facial shapes and outlines. And of course, there's many, many tiny variations. But have you not seen hundreds of people that looked incredibly similar, although they were not related in your life. And that is because in some way we're very related all. <laughs> Obviously we come from yeah. a very similar gene pool. And that also goes for our psyche. It's not just our faces. And that's beautiful. I don't think that that's a negative thing. Incredibly Dude, encouraging. Just interesting. But have you, have you ever in person seen someone where you thought, this guy looks like me? No. But I have had many people tell me, I've seen somebody that right, looks right, just right. like you. But this this is actually the, the interesting thing to me, because when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I've met so many people who looked like somebody else, but I've never met someone who looked like me. And then I thought the same thing applies to kind of our inner thing, where it's like, I'm the only one who's like this in the world. So then you feel like yes. that. And I say, oh, yes. Somehow there's a yes. That's <laughs> dope. interesting phenomenon. That is dope. I think that you are absolutely spot on with this. I think that we can name many people that look similar to almost everybody in our life if we really think it through but there's mm -hmm. certain people where this is more difficult yeah. for instance myself my brothers and my mother yeah. they seem yeah. very distinct to me yeah but with everybody else all my friends all my co-workers all everybody famous yeah. people most yeah. there are very few people that are very radical faces most people i'm like ah there's a bunch of people that kind of like that. Yeah. And yeah, in reverse, yeah, I've yeah. never seen somebody where I thought, wow, this person looks exactly like me. And the people, there's like David Blaine. I had at least 20 people in my life tell me I look exactly like David Blaine. Now, when I look at David Blaine, I go, fuck no. Yeah. Looks nothing like me. And this is not flattering. I don't think he's a good looking dude. You know, I mean, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, uh -huh. But apparently if 20 people thought this, you know, <laughs> there must be something to it. And so, yeah, I think that that reflects back to kind of our inner experience. I think it's easier for us to see the similarities of the world outside what we experience so intimately that it feels completely unique. Yeah. Completely. The closer we are to it, the more familiar we yeah. are to it, the more we see the uniqueness. And then it's also like kind of like if you're a European and you go to Asia for the first time, it's like everybody looks the same, yeah. right? And vice yeah. versa, right? They're like, so all white yeah. people look the same. Yeah. You have a harder time. You The patterns are broader. So more faces right. look very similar yeah. than in cultures yeah. where you have more distinct pattern recognition of faces, right? Yeah. Except in, in South Korea, where it's actually true because they all have the same <laughs> 20 kinds of plastic surgery. Plastic surgery, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is also true to some degree of the plastic inner surgery, just culturally... Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's certain types of explanations of the psyche that we have that become popular that then people adopt in today's world. But that's a, that's a separate rent. One of the most powerful things, and this can only be accomplished with presence and humor and humbleness, is the realization that all of this is just a fucking ride. All of this is just a beautiful dance. All of this matters so much and not at all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And all our struggles and all our pain is beautiful and significant and monumental and completely irrelevant and not that big of a deal. And that paradox is tricky, <laughs> I'll admit. And it doesn't minimize that it's really real for you. Like it, right. when, when you go through shit, it's real. Yeah. And just by recognizing that it's part of a dance doesn't make it less painful in that moment. Not necessarily. Yeah. It, the pain stays, the suffering goes. That's really the difference. 
But whenever you can maintain the presence of mind to realize that the good and the bad and everything between, it's all just a big dance. Just Let's just try to enjoy as much as possible, stay curious for as much as possible, stay playful. Sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it's impossible. And we'll get sucked into the panic, the fear, the terror of the feeling of the moment. And that's fine too. You know, that's okay. Yeah. Getting lost in the dance is, is part of the dance as well. But the more of the presence of that we can keep, the more beauty we can maintain throughout all the ups and all the downs and all the in-betweens. Because life is beautiful. Like, it truly is. It is amazing how incredible life is. When you really are present for it, it puts you in awe. You're just like, I can't comprehend life. It's too incredible. But... Well, just humans, we're not fucking Buddha or Jesus or Muhammad or whoever enlightened being you believe in. So we get lost in the dance and sometimes we get lost for longer periods and sometimes shorter. But the more moments of presence we can find, the more even the really difficult times just are maintain a certain beauty in it, which makes very difficult situations then easier, I guess, to deal with. Yeah, there's something to being really deep into it with all of your heart, but also not being attached to it in some way. Yes, right? this, you this... know, this was one of my biggest philosophical struggles, kind of my of my twenties, between twenty and twenty eight. One of my biggest philosophical struggles was that the philosophies of Buddhism made so much sense to me, especially non attachment, made so much sense to me. And at the same time, I truly believe that the greatest changes in the world happened from people and with people that were completely attached to the things mm -hmm. that we're doing. A detached person couldn't become Martin Luther King, couldn't become fucking Steve Jobs, couldn't be whoever you want to call. Like these people that I admired, I was like, these people were not unattached with the problems that we're tackling or the goals that we're chasing. And I believe that the world is enriched for all of us by people that are passionate about the things they're doing. So how can I be unattached and just like everything is fine the way it is, the universe is beautiful, all suffering is fine, all pain is part of the blah, and I'm just like just going to sit here and be Zen. And I couldn't make these two things work together. And so I was struggling. Mm -hmm. I wanted both in my life, but I couldn't make them work. And then I remember, mm -hmm. and I think we had talked about this. I for sure was telling everybody who didn't ask, wasn't ready to listen. I was telling everybody <laughs> about this for a while where I was like, now I finally made it, made it clicked in my mind. And I just thought, you don't have to be attached. You can just be dedicated. And so I thought, mm -hmm. if you're fully dedicated to something, you're still not losing yourself in the attachment that brings a non-separation between you and the thing, right? I can be very dedicated to something that clearly is not me. When I'm fully attached to something, one of the problems is that I lose the boundaries between myself and the thing. And so when the thing isn't yeah. working, I'm thinking I'm dying. Yes. So I was like, dedication is the name of the game. And that kind of, that fixed it for me for a while. And just mm -hmm. last year, I made an adjustment to that in my own mind for my own little world, which was maybe even better than dedication. Dedication is great, but engagement is really the name of the game. You want to be fully engaged with something, 
Dedicated has pros and cons. Dedicated has a lack of flexibility at times. It's very directional, right? There's goals. There's something you want to go to and you are fully committed and dedicated to go there no matter what. Being fully engaged in a problem has a lot of energy and passion, but mm-hmm. it still feels flexible, right? It feels like mm-hmm. I'm stepping in and I'm fully immersing and engaging myself with this thing, but I'm open enough to adjust or change and disengage if something calls for it. So to me now, I feel like a, a formula for a beautiful life is to live a life that's fully engaged, like being fully engaged with the things you're doing. And that does not, in for me at least, does not contradict realizing that everything is fine and everything is fucked and I'm I'm don't have to attach to anything I do. I want to be engaged. Yeah. Like being unengaged in life, what's the point? Yeah. What is the fucking point? If I'm born and I'm just sitting here and going, I don't have to talk to anybody, I don't care about anything, nothing is nothing and everything is nothing, I'll just sit here till I die. And why are we alive? That, that, that's pointless. But it doesn't mean that when you enter the world, you have to lose yourself in it and attach to your goals and the things around you and your motivations, just be fully and totally engaged and immersed in the world. And this goes back to the wild wisdom of Zorba, where one of the most beautiful things that I love about Zorba as a character is that he's not holier than our, he's not walking around giving big speeches, although he does give some speeches, but he's not like preaching to people with words, but he is the most alive human anybody meets. He is very Buddha-like in the sense that he's the most present person anybody meets because he's always fully immersed and engaged in the right here, right now. No holding back. And he's also very flawed in humanity at the same time. And and to him and in the story, that is the point of being alive. That is fine. Like you fuck up some things, you do some awesome things. You know, that's all part of the dance. You try your best but you are a human. But I really love, yeah. like, when he worked, he worked. When he rested, he rested. When he danced, he danced. When he loved, he loved. He was always 100%. But he was not 100% in one thing. It was not just work, 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 work. He was not just, you know, dance, 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 have fun, have a good time. He was not just, you know, right. take care of people or be selfish. He was all of humanity he was all these things yeah at the appropriate time at different times yes but when he was something he was it no holding back no doubting no second guessing all in i love that that's so rare meeting people that live and don't just exist is so rare even in fictional characters. So yeah. the, the character of Zorba is the most alive human yeah. character. Not caught up in the, in the polarity. No, you know, he has all the, uh, the, the, you know, all the parts yeah. of the human psyche. His family yeah. is huge, right? His inner yeah. family system is yeah. ginormous. It's like, 50 yeah. children, seven vi- uh, wives, uh, you know, five husbands, grandparents. Like, this is a massive family. And he lives every single character fully when yeah. the time has come. And there's no fighting yeah. between them. There's no conflict between them. And there's no polarity. They're just, they all accept each other's existence. Yeah. That's, to me, that's finding the 
the meaning of life. It's like expanding your inner and outer family, accepting and loving all of them and living them to the maximum. Mm. Living this life completely and fully. That's it. Game one and game over. That's it. That's, you know, what else is there to do? God, I fucking love that character. <laughs>